So the older I get, the younger the guy on the Cure album standing on a beach looks. It's true. When I was 16, he looked like an ancient elder who wanders around in a cloak giving prophecies. Now he looks like a middle-aged Jeremy Irons. I was shopping in Amoeba in Berkeley the other day, and I saw that album, and I was like, who's that young buck? Someone told me once that getting older gives you perspective, but that's not a perspective I need. I need that guy to stay old. Anyway, it's our second show of 2022, and my guest today on the program is the most youthful of zombies. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. It's the time of the season When love runs high In this time, give it to me easy And let me try with pleasured hands To take you in the sun To promise lands To show you everyone It's the time of the season for That is the music of the Zombies, a band which features my guest today on the program, Colin Blundstone. Let me tell you a little bit about Colin Blundstone and the Zombies. The Zombies got their start in the early 60s, and since then they've been one of the most enduring bands in rock and roll history. The British outfit, which is led by the core of Colin Blundstone and Rod Argent, had a mad streak of singles. She's not there, Tell Her No, and Time of the Season pretty much cemented them as a massive pop force. Their album, Odyssey and Oracle, is considered to be one of the greatest albums ever made. And in 2019, the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Blundstone's voice is one of the great wonders of the world, and the band's material is ageless, timeless, and enduring. Blundstone's had an amazing career. He's put out a bunch of solo albums, appeared on records by Alan Parsons and Steve Hackett, and the Zombies' recent output, like 2015's Still Got That Hunger, demonstrate they remain as potent as ever. And guess what? Colin Blundstone is one of the nicest guys around. So here you go. Me and Colin Blundstone having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I can. I can hear you great. Oh, good. That's a good it's start. Good. It is a good start. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. When I first, however many months ago, first did a Zoom, you know, interview or anything like that, I had no idea. I, I'm, you know, I'm not very uh, computer literate. And I had no, it was just a complete mystery. But I, I think I'm starting to get the hang of this stuff now. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> I believe in little victories during the day. You know, this is a little victory for me. Listen, we'll take it. We'll take it. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I teach college for a living. And when we got thrust into the world of Zoom, I was terrible at it. I mean, I was, I was just woeful. Um, 
but after about a year and a half, I got the hang of it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm very <laughs> surprised and very pleased to say that. I think I'm on my way. <laughs> are, you, um, are you in the UK right now? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm uh, about an hour southwest of London. Uh, in, is it, the county is called Surrey, where I am. Oh, you're and, in Surrey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it looks like a sunny day in Surrey. It is. It is bright, but of course it's a bit later here, so it's uh, it's coming out to five o'clock. So um, it's been a lovely day, and, and I'm at home. You know, this is this is where I live. Well, I'm in Berkeley, California, which is a place that has always loved you. Oh, fantastic! That's great. This is there's a Berkeley School of Music. Berkeley School of Music is in Boston. I'm in the Bay Area, oh. so I'm just outside of San Francisco. All right. Okay. Cool. Right. I, found that I, I always remember, I said to my wife, one day we must do this. I drove on the coast road from Los Angeles up to San Francisco, and it, I, I took three days doing it. So I took my time. What a magical drive that was. I'd love to do it um, with the family, you know, to, to bring them up there. And I want to start from, oh, I, I, I'm hopeless on names. What's the, t what's the big city below Los Angeles? Uh, San Diego. San Diego. I want to start from San Diego. And, and then go up to San Francisco. And I, I, it's, it's a magical journey that it's absolutely brilliant. Well, here's, here's the pro tip is when you do it, have someone else drive so you can enjoy the scenery. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a good point. Because actually I did drive before and because I was driving on the wrong side of the road for me, I had to concentrate on what I was doing. I really did. It was very easy for me to, to what, what did I used to do? Um, you'd be driving along a road and then if there was a so you're on the right hand side of the road and if there was a road that went off to the right I would drive down that thinking subconsciously that it was the main road but of course it wasn't it's it's a it's an offshoot you know and I did that two or three times and it's not always easy to turn around and come back so I and I think sometimes when you have those little, we call them roundabouts, you don't have a lot of them. I have to really think about those as well. Make sure I go around them the right way. <laughs> right, right. Um, Otherwise, who knows where you end up? <laughs> you can end up in serious trouble. <laughs> yes, very serious trouble. I'm, I'm not surprised to see a guitar looming in the background. Or is there, it feels like there'd be a lot of instruments in your, in your home. There are quite a few, although I tend to, I don't play in the in the zombies. I don't play guitar. Although I did when we very first got together, I joined as a rhythm guitarist. Um, but I write on guitar, and that that actually it's not the one. I think yeah. The one, oh, it's it's out of the it's a little bit out of the picture. That's, there we go. That's the one I write on there. Um, it's a classical guitar, a gut string classical guitar. Because I I'm not a very good guitarist, but um, I like to use uh, the, the bass notes, you know, I don't just write on standard chords, that gives me the melody, and so that's why I write on a gut string guitar. Are you the kind of person where when you walk into the room and you see that, that guy that you write on, do you go, oh, I should get to work, or do you, like, how, how are you with your work ethic? Um, no, so I have a fairly casual relationship with that guy. Um, We've, we've always been pals and I spend a lot of time with him, but I sometimes think it's like some people might smoke a cigarette or, or have a drink um, 
or maybe they would have a, a pet dog that they would sit with and but I, I have a guitar and you know he's he's my, he's my pal and we we just sort of mosey along I wouldn't say there's a strong work ethic I, to me writing songs has always been a bit of a mystery because there are times when songs have come quite quickly unfortunately it doesn't happen that often, but I, I love it when a song comes quickly. But otherwise, I just have to chip away. And I sometimes think it's a bit like completing a crossword, but hopefully a crossword with a bit of soul. Um, but you know, you just, you can't do, sometimes you can't do the second verse till you've got the first verse. You know, you, you have to go through these things. And, and, it, and the other thing is there's no rules. There's no mm. rules. Um, so it's, and you know, because I'm not, I'm not a, a trained musician. I'm not, not a terribly good musician. I can very easily just sit down and start playing the same thing over the same thing as I played yesterday. Exactly the same. So I do have to try and be, yeah, a bit strict sometimes. I've got um, uh, eight classical pieces that are out on a table over there that I need to sit down and work on because not because I'm going to take something from those classical pieces but because it makes my fingers work in a in a different way and it sort of frees them up sorry i've got into ramble mode Did, no you haven't asked me any questions and i'm no. just I'm this, just rambling <laughs> oh this is this is what we do um and okay. um and i also wonder for you when you when the songs do come quickly isn't it true that that doesn't really give you any insight into the mystery, the continued mystery of songwriting? It doesn't. No, I mean, so many times people ask you, uh, you know, how do you write songs? Right. And, for, and, you know, what comes first, the words or the music? And quite honestly, it is, it's a mystery. I don't know. Um, it can be, uh, it can be a chord change. It could be a title. It can be an idea. It's anything, anything that you can grab hold of. And then you try and build on it. But there is an element of magic in the whole process. It's really exciting. I mean, I'm not a particularly prolific writer and I'm not even a particularly successful writer, really. But I love the experience of writing. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. And I love that when you're there, when that initial spark of an idea happens, where does that come from? No one really knows. And then you see it develop as a song that you've written, and then you offer it to some musicians who then they take it on a journey of its own. And that hopefully ends up in a recording studio. And then eventually you play it to an audience and you've been there for that whole journey from the little spark. And you've seen this song build up. It's, a, it's really thrilling. And I think it's important to remember that the joy is in writing songs. It's not in having hits. That's that's a separate issue. There there is joy in having hits and being commercially successful, but it's a separate issue. The joy is in writing songs, and and, and there's a parallel with performing as well. In the zombies, you know, we 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 really give everything when we perform every night. I know that people tell me there are bands that go through the motions. I I couldn't do that, and none of the guys in the band could. We we give it everything every night and i know we do play our old hits because people want to hear the old hits yeah. but we always um there is always a measure of new material as well and that's really what keeps our energy and enthusiasm going because we will always we, we 
just done this live stream from Abbey Road and uh, we have done five, five new songs out of 17 or, eight, 17 or 18 songs, five of them are new. And three of those five are with a string quartet, which we don't get a lot of opportunity to rehearse with. So it's, it's exciting and, it, and it's, it is quite challenging as well. You're the first guy I've talked to who has, has described songwriting as such a positive, joyful process, acknowledging the magic. Because some people have a contentious relationship with it. Um, I think about this British band called The Laws. I don't know if you remember them. They did one record. The There She Goes was the big hit. They were, they were from uh, Liverpool. And um, the singer of that band just could not figure out that relationship between translating it from from the ether into the actual world and capturing the thing that he was thinking about. And it sort of drove him a little crazy, I think. And, and, and I think there's, there's different cases of that as we go, but the way you describe it is you acknowledge the magic and the joy and which makes it when you don't have the ability to pull it from the ether probably doesn't, doesn't plague you or burden you. No, it doesn't. I mean, it can get, it can get very frustrating. Right. Um, it can get very frustrating, but you know, you just have to. Uh, it's that's that's part of what a songwriter has to live with. It can be very frustrating. All artists have that problem. If you're a, a novelist or if you're a painter, you know, there's days when it's not going to happen, and you have to learn to live with it. Um, I think artists have to learn a lot of things. You have to learn how to survive in the first place. I've sort of slightly changed the subject, but I was just thinking about how there are all these wonderful musicians when you're 17 or 18. And it, it you know, there's a lot of disappointments in, in music and, and the arts in general. And you have to have this strange combination of being sensitive enough to be an artist and you've got to be tough enough to survive. It's quite a strange combination. Um, but it is important. Otherwise, as you were just talking about that, that singer-songwriter you were talking about, it can start to drive you a little crazy. Because a lot of, and thinking about the music business in particular, a lot of it doesn't really add up. And you just have to learn to roll with the punches. And, you know, a lot of it doesn't make sense. And that's fine. It's taken me a long time <laughs> to come to this conclusion. I don't want to know all the answers. You know, I've got other things that I can I can do and relax and have fun. Um, so as long as we're, we're, we're at least trying to write new music and music that we believe in, not music that's, that's got to be commercial um, just for the sake of being commercial. We've never, ever done that. And... You know, sometimes we've been su successful commercial and sometimes we haven't, but we've always tried to write and record and perform the best we absolutely can. Do you find that your, that your mood is, is better or different or changes when you're in a creative space and you're able to harness something exciting? When you leave that space, are you, are you a happier person to be around? Are you, do you feel a kind of lift? I think I do, yes. And I think it's, um, particularly with songwriting, it's quite a delicate state of mind, I think. And there's almost an element of panic in my subconscious because if I'm on a roll with a song, I know that the muse can disappear in a, in a split second. And 
my main feeling is trying trying to hold on to whatever's happening, whatever this mystery is. I'm just subconsciously saying, please just stay with me till I can finish this. And um, if I get it finished, of course, yeah, it's, it, I'm in a, an, an elated state, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I'm a writer, and I told I told somebody, and this might just be because I'm over fifty, but I said, you know, getting that that creative spark almost feels better than being being 19 and, and like romantic love like it just feels it feels like amazing you know I know I know it, it is a it, it's a it is a wonderful thing I've done you know because uh, the zombies have got quite a lot going on at the moment so there's been quite a lot of press and promotion to get involved in and I've had to write one or two little pieces which I, I don't normally do and um I've sat there thinking, I, I, don't, I don't really know where to start. Well, I, when I say I sat there, I mean, I just, I'm sitting in another room and thinking, I don't know how to start. And what I found is, I don't know, you know, you're a, a writer, I'm not, but what I found is that I might not have an idea in my head. And if I sit down at the laptop and just start typing, usually something comes and this is different well maybe it's not that different from songwriting but i don't know where it's coming from because i've been dreading trying to write this little article or even sleeve notes for an album or something like that and it just seems so sort of presumptuous to put down my idea about the value of this album and where it came from and i'm always thinking well why would anyone be interested in what you think and and then i say well I've been asked to write this, so I have to write it. And this sort of conversation with myself. And then sometimes when you sit down, in fact, always when you sit down and you just try and do it, something comes and it's, it is a lovely, it's a very gratifying feeling. It's lovely. It is. And you know, when I, when I teach uh, my students to write, I always ask them, I always say, what's the one, the one biggest problem you have with writing? And they always say, I don't know where to start. I can't, so what you just said is exactly the that, thing that everybody it, says. Well, that is exactly the feeling I've had in the last few weeks on four or five, five or six occasions. I don't know where to start. I, I think one thing was about songwriting when we've just discussed it, what a mysterious business songwriting is. I thought, how can I try and tell someone who's just coming into the business how to write songs? And when I sat down and tried to do it, something did come out that I, I hope did have some sort of value. And in the end, you know, I, I wasn't exactly congratulating myself, but yeah, I felt, I felt good. You know, I, I'd given it my, my best shot, but you have to start. That's the thing. You, you just have to sit down and do it. Very similar to, to writing songs. And isn't it also true that if you sit down to write a song and you don't come up with anything that even though you're not going to use any of that, that is instructive in terms of the future process. Like it's, it's all part of it. Absolutely. I, you, that is exactly it. You mustn't get disheartened. It is all part of the process and you will have learned something from the effort that you put in that day. And I mean, it's, just, it's the same with life and it's the same with performing. There've been times when, uh, you know, I haven't been happy with a, performance I've been involved in and and um but you but I learn from it you know I, well I try to anyway I try and learn from it and I won't make those same mistakes again um and maybe it's the same with everything in life if you can what do they say you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes you know right, right. 
are you pretty hard on yourself if you did a performance you weren't pleased with? Are you like, how do you debrief and how do you give yourself also a break and not be too hard on yourself? Well, yeah, it is important not to be too hard on yourself. Um, you know, when, when I get really uh, uh, down on myself is if I feel everything got a little bit out of control, I know that in, if we do nearly a two hour concert, I'm probably gonna make one or two mistakes. It's, it's two hours of, of me <laughs> singing lyrics, you know, I mean, and also, I, you know, I'm not 18 anymore. I'm, I'm 76 now. And uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff to remember. I'm, I'm quite well known for just making stuff up um, <laughs> in the middle of a song. <laughs> it's, the trouble is that, you know, the guys in the front row often, I can see them mouthing the words <laughs> and it's a bit off-putting because I know they know the words. And I've got to, sometimes I have to fit in a little bit that where I've forgotten. And I can, I hopefully, my motto is sing loud, look confident. And if I sing loud and look confident, they think I'm right and they're wrong. And uh, so that's how I go about my business. Um, but what disappoints me if I feel things just got a little bit out of control and um, it doesn't happen very often. If I just get a little bit overwhelmed, I mean, you know, sometimes if we're doing a lot of new songs, I can sort of get a bit lost. I think, oh, what's, what's going on, you know? A lot of new songs, a lot of new arrangements, maybe had late night the night before, a long journey, and you that disappoints me if I'm not on top of things. But if I just if I if I miss a lyric, I you know I'm not too hard on myself about that. Mm. That's that's okay, that's fine. You know, as I said, look confident, sing loud, and for the audience, you you must you must always look, if there's a mistake, you must always look as if it's fun. Look, this is life. We made a mistake. Isn't that great? We're sharing it with you. And usually it, it, it endears the audience to you if they see not just me, but the band made a mistake and there they are laughing about it. Isn't that great? We're, we're all in this together. So I think it, it is important if you do make mistakes, how you react to them. The zombies don't make many mistakes, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After after fifty or sixty years on the road, we we should we should know what we're doing. That's a that's a point. Yeah, I guess if the mistakes come, they might be in in the newer material. But the, that can also be instructive. Like you know, you're you're also familiarizing yourself with what that is in a road setting, anyway. Of course, and that live performing's like that. In fact, I sometimes think that if you're a professional musician, um, you're if you're a good professional musician, you can judge it by how you deal with the mistakes. Usually, if you if you are um, you know if you're fairly competent as a professional musician, usually the audience won't even know there was a mistake. So it's you know never don't get worked up and start having a temper tantrum um, because they don't even usually know. And I'm I'm not talking an audience down. It's it's just they don't know the work as well as you do. And so, uh, um, really, it's, it's not a problem. You just soldier on. Eyes and teeth. Eyes and teeth. Right, right. I've seen bands, I can't remember who they were, but I've seen bands on several occasions. They'll start a song and then they'll stop and go, well, we're going to start that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong in that. I mean, audiences love it. I mean, I remember doing uh, way back in the 60s, um, I probably, I won't, I won't say, it was a singing group, but I, I won't say who they were. 
and, um, and they were girls, like very attractive girls. And um, I think the band started a song because they didn't play instruments. And one of them said, we're not doing that song tonight. Yes, we are. No, we're not. No. Like, this is in front of the audience. I thought it was wonderful. Um, but we, we try to avoid situations like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's good to just kind of own it and just go, ah, we're going to start over again. Why? What, what the hell? We, we, listen, we've done that. We have done that, you know. In, in terms of the, the position you're in now with, with this global pandemic where you kind of go, are we on, are we off, what are we doing? Has that kind of played with your head a little bit? Has that been unsettling or do you feel, are you fairly calm about it? Um, it did to start with because there was a lot of that sort of thing, you know, is this too wrong, is this too wrong? And I'm not sure if it was particularly uh, because of what I said, but I, my opinion was, look, let's not play in 2021. Let's start talking about 2022. And I mean, the way things are going, I, I hope we'll be back to some kind of uh, normality in 2022. But I'd much rather say, okay, 2021's gone. We so we're not sort of building up to a tour and then it, then suddenly it's the rugs taken from underneath us and there's no tour. Um, we're the zombies are not going to play live except for this live stream from Abbey Road we're not going to play live uh, this year um and so that I think that helped me uh, personally what I found is that I for the first six months or so I quite enjoyed just sitting around at home it was great because we're a band that works I mean we we tour all the time so it was great to spend some time at home but after where are we up to now about 18 months something like that yeah and I'm starting to, you know, I'm, I'm getting itchy feet, I think. And I think my family will be quite glad to see me back on the road. I'm sure they love me dearly, but, uh, you know, they, uh, they quite like the bits where I'm away as well. And uh, in the nicest possible way. And so it would be nice to, to get back out there performing again. How did it affect your creative process? Because, you, you know, a lot of people thought, well, I'm going to learn to speak German or something. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn something during this time period. We didn't know how long it was going to be. Um, I challenged myself to write a new novel, and I did. Um, did you find yourself being more creative, or did you find yourself less? I found myself being less creative. Wow. I had grand plans, and most of them didn't come to much. One of the things I was going to do was try and get fit. This was right at the beginning. I thought, okay, well, you know, um, we in particular, we had to uh, isolate in this house because my wife's been very ill and her immune system is, is, um, has been interfered with. Uh, it's not, um, it's not as good as it should be. So we, for the, nearly the first year, we just lived in the house and didn't go out at all, not even to the shops. Uh, we had food delivered and I thought I'll get fit and this is sometimes this is so typical I was just doing you know a few exercises decided to do a few press-ups uh you know I'm starting really easy just to do 20 press-ups and I did something incredibly bad to my right shoulder and I thought I don't believe this this is like day two of my keep fit um new regime and it's still not right now so I've still got the beer belly and I haven't got the, you know, the, the big muscles in my arms, I'm afraid, that I was hoping for. So um, other than that, I didn't have that many plans. You, you've made me feel really guilty now. No, no, come on. 
<laughs> you gave it a shot. I gave it a shot. Well, I, you know, um, I, I think it was about a year ago. I, I was approached, and I, it's, it's happened before. Somebody wanted to. They seemed like they're a, a, they write for a, a, you know, quite a prestigious um, magazine in this country, and they wanted to do my biography. And I thought, oh, oh, I, I'm not too sure about that. You know, there are lots of ups and downs in this business. There are, and there are an awful lot of downs in there. And I thought, I don't know if this would be a very cheerful, cheerful book. And so nothing happened. And then I was sitting there, you know, we were talking about having to write little bits for uh, albums and uh, for magazines and so forth. And I thought, really, you should have, especially when you said you completed a novel when um, in the lockdown, I should have really started a little bit of a biography, even if it's only for my family. It doesn't have to be for the public, you know, but I'd quite like them to know some of the things that happen. And I haven't done it. And I see that I've been sort of saying, all you have to do is sit down there and you start, and that's how you get something moving. And, and I haven't done it. I'm undone. Now you know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but even if you did, let's say you did like a, even like a paragraph a day, you'd have a, you'd have a good body of work. In, in, the, in the lockdown, yes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Do you know what? I think I'm... I'm frightened of failure because I've never done anything really like that before. And I, it's, I, you know, I'm not unique. There are so many people that don't try to do something because they're afraid of failure. And I think there's an element of that with me. Um, God, I'm, I'm, I've done all the things that I said you shouldn't do when I, earlier in our conversation. <laughs> you, you can't trust a zombie. That's the, that's the truth of the matter. You just you can't trust a zombie. You can't, yeah, that might be the title of it. I, yeah. think, I think that you, um, what's interesting is that you must have stories that have not been told that would be fun to hear. I think, you know, I've had quite a colorful life. And um, the one thing in the back of my mind is that I, I, you know, I want it to be cheerful. I want it to be light. And if you can imagine, a, you know, we were basically schoolboys. We're just out of school in the 60s. Um, and we have a hit record. Can you imagine? what managers and agents do to a band like that. You know, they're, they're ruthless, you know, they're merciless. And um, to, to, uh, to keep a positive uh, description of, uh, of the 60s, I mean, it was fun. Of course we had fun, but there was a dark side to it as well. And um, I, I wouldn't want to overemphasize all that. It happened, it happened to all the bands. And I'm probably still happening now. People always say, well, musicians are much more sophisticated now. They understand. But I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm sure it happens now as well. They have ruthless, these guys, you know. Yeah, and you're talking about from a pure business standpoint, right? Yeah. 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 Not all I'm, of them. Not, not all of them, but, but some. The warmth of your love's like the warmth from the sun And this will be our year long time to come don't let go of my hand now the darkness has gone this will be our year took a long time to come and i won't forget the way you helped me up when i was done and i won't forget the way you said darling i love you you gave me faith to go
There's plenty of examples of people in music making it big and making it big very young. And some survive that, some don't. But even in sports, someone like, you know, Emma Raducanu, who won the U.S. Open, um, 18, 19 years old, suddenly her face is everywhere. And my first thought is like, oh, man, be careful with her. You know, but it's true that when you get famous and there's people who think they can profit off your fame, they just show up. You're a magnet. You know, uh, it, it is incredible. These people will and, and they're charming. They're not. They don't wear black hats and, and look sinister. They're charming people. And I was thinking exactly the same thing. Um, I, please, I just hope that you've got protection. And also, I hope you don't lose sight of the fact that you're a tennis player. And without the tennis, you, you become a very attractive 18-year-old girl like a million other 18-year-old girls. So you know, concentrate on the tennis. The rest That's of right. it, the rest of it is, you know, the periphery. It's not, it's not really important. Um, but, you know, I just hope that, she, I think she's um, quite uh, friendly with Tim Henman. She is. He, he always seemed like a very sensible, good bloke. I, I don't know him, but he just seemed like a sensible, good bloke. So I hope, hopefully he is in her corner and he can help her because it is going to be a challenging few months a few years for her um, but it was wonderful but she won through from from uh from qualifying to to win the whole thing absolutely incredible it, it's a remarkable story and it, it literally is like having a number one hit at 18 when no one had known who you were yeah. um but you surround yourself with good people tim Hedman and andy murray both are kind of keeping an eye on her and it seems like they're very protective because they know the rigors of, of that life. But in rock and roll, there's no apparatus to protect schoolboys who in the 60s or 70s or 80s who suddenly get famous. People want a piece of that or, or whatever it is, but there's no apparatus to say, th there's no protective layer to sort of educate you as you go. It's all a baptism by fire. It, uh, that's absolutely true. And uh, it certainly was true in our case. And um... Funnily enough, I think I knew, although I couldn't put it into words, what basically what, what the main thing that was happening with us. Our, you know, I have to be careful because these, these are real people. So um, let's say one of our management companies, first of all, they had no idea of the big picture. They were thinking that these young guys are going to have a bit of success for a year or two, and then they'll be gone and they move on to the next band. What they didn't realize is that you can have a lifetime's career in the music business. And if those people had nurtured and protected us, they, funnily enough, they would have made more money in the long run. 
but also they would have got some sense of fulfillment out of what they were doing. And of course they would have attracted other artists as well in the end, um, you know, nobody wanted to be managed by people like that. But and in terms of luckily, they didn't get a percentage of our record royalties or our publishing. It was only live work. But what was happening, I, I knew, really, and I just didn't put it into words. I was talking to a promoter one day, we just played to an absolutely packed uh, concert. In, in those days, actually, I, a lot of the places people danced, they didn't sit, they danced. But it was absolutely packed. And it, uh, I'm talking to this guy and I said, well, you know, see you soon. It had been a really successful evening. And he said, well, no, actually, you won't because uh, I can't afford to have you back. And I knew what we were being paid. And I said, well, what do you mean? You know, and he said, well, you cost three and a half times what we were getting. And it's, it's very simple. It's, it's called double selling. So that the guy who's selling you tells you one price and actually sells you for a completely different price. Mm. And then they then have the effrontery to take a percentage out of the, the little amount that you've got. You know, we have to split it five ways in the band and, and they take 20 or 30% off the top before we split it five ways. So double selling, you've got to watch out for that. You need to know. And a lot of it you can just do in your head because if there's a thousand people out there, just check the ticket price. If it's, let's say it's $20 because it's easy, and there's a thousand people out there, then they've taken 20,000 on the door. And if they're giving you $500 for the night, um, something's wrong, something's gone wrong there. And it, it's relatively simple. But of course, you're young and you get, you get caught up in the, with the excitement of it all and the, and, and the performance, because the adrenaline's, you've got performance anxiety before the show mm. and you've got the adrenaline running afterwards. And, you, you somehow don't have the time to sit down and think, hold on a minute, you know, what are we getting paid? <laughs> right. artists, artists don't think like that, you know, but once in a while, it's a good idea to take stock. And also to learn to be an advocate for yourself at that young of an age. I mean, I learned to say no by the time I was about 48. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I'm still working on that. But so 48, I think is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been three years and it's going well. Um, but <laughs> if you're 18 years old and you are having to advocate for yourself in a business sense and to also be a creative person, um, that's a lot to ask for someone so young. And so I, I imagine that, that it must have been a hard thing to learn. When did you finally learn to be comfortable to be an advocate for yourself and for your band and, and for what's going on in your life? I still don't think that I'm very good at that, to be absolutely honest. I don't like confrontation. Um, so I, I'm not terribly good at it. But I think that if I'm backed into a corner, then, you know, I would speak up for myself. I, one of the problems being in a, in a band, it's not so true of the current incarnation of the Zombies, because there's just two founder members. And so we basically say what happens. Um, but the, in the original band, of course, there were five people in the band. And so you, it, it, you could only give an opinion. And, and then we would, even if it wasn't in a formal way, in a formal sense, we'd take a vote on it, really. And one of the problems that we had was, and it, it, this can be a problem for bands, is that 
two of the guys, Rod Arden and Chris White, were the main writers. And it means that they, they double their income. And, and the other thing was that the, the, the challenging management that we had weren't involved in the writing. We had a really good publisher and a very honest publisher. And so it meant two of the band were, and, and you know, we talk about this now quite openly. They would say the same thing if they were talking to you. They were financially quite comfortable. And we've never been a band that are um, particularly financially motivated, but you do need to have enough money to live. You know, that's what I'm talking about, you know, to, to feed yourself. And, um, um, and, and it, it got very tricky for the three non-writers because we were so, we were so sort of uh, financially abused um, in that situation. And that was really one of the main reasons why the band finished. It was quite amicable. We, the, the non-writers just didn't have any money. And one in particular, uh, Will Atkinson, our lead guitarist, had just got married actually to an American girl. And he just said to us, guys, you know, I've just got married. I have got absolutely no money. I can't, I can't continue. And he, he was very bright and he'd been offered a job in computers. It was a, it was a new field that was just opening up. And, um, he went off and for a year or two, he worked in computers, but he, he did come back to the music business and he became a very uh, well-respected um, A&R man, worked for CBS and Capital and many big companies. And he was very successful. Sadly, he, he died quite, quite young, but he was very successful on sort of the other side of the business. Um, so it worked out well for him in the end. But those fiscal concerns are real concerns, and um, you know financial stability. You and also the democracy of a band doesn't feel like a democracy if if the division, like you're talking about, is you know. I mean, of course, it makes sense. I get it that the writer would make what they may. I understand it, um, but it must feel like everyone's not weighted the same. And I could see it. I could see it. You know, leading to some strife. It can do. I mean, we were all very easygoing guys in the band. No, there was never any um, animosity about the fact that they were earning more than us. But it did make it a little bit difficult just because they would look at things in a different light. It wasn't so important to them that we worked. It wasn't so important to them that we weren't making any money on the road because they, they didn't need any money. But, but we did, you know. When I, when I left the Zombies... And I think that um, the three non-writers would have been about the same. Uh, we'd been living at home most of the time. I had lived at home with my parents. Um, I had a really old secondhand car and, and I left the zombies. So I hadn't spent the money on anything in particular. Um, I left the zombies with around 500 pounds, which is 620, 600 something dollars. That's after three years on the road, playing tirelessly on the road all around the world and having big hit records. I had about 500 pounds. And a lot of that was money that we got for selling our equipment and our van. <laughs> you know, so uh, we really didn't do very well on the road. I should, probably shouldn't mention specific figures, but I just wanted to give you some idea. You know, it, 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 was, it was tough. Were your parents supportive of your career in rock and roll? Did they think that was a cool thing? They they were amazing. I think all the parents, perhaps there was one guy whose parents weren't so supportive, but 
the rest were all really supportive. I never really talked to my parents about it, but um, I wonder whether they weren't thinking this is something that he wants to do and he should, you know, he should go out there and, and get it out of his system and then he can get on with a proper job and a proper career. I'm not sure, maybe they were thinking like that, but they were really supportive. And it quite surprised me because when I left school, uh, I was quite good at art. I, I wasn't dedicated, but I was quite enough anyway, but I was quite good at art. And one thing I wanted to do was to go to art school. And my father said to me, you're not going to art school. All they do there is drink beer and chase women. And I don't think I'd really thought of it in that light before, but it sounded even more attractive when you put it like that. And what amazed me was a year later, we had to sign a recording contract with Decca. And he had, because I was under 21, he had to countersign it. And what does he think bands do when they're on the road? Apart from drink beer and chase girls, but he wasn't happy with the art school approach, but he seemed, he seemed to be quite happy with the, with the band idea um, and there wasn't a lot of difference really so uh, I was I was quite in I never got the chance to ask him about that I, I'd be interested to know to get his take on it but no my parents were very supportive very that's and that's good to hear and I, but it's yeah I don't know where he got that perception from but I've never heard that about art school I, I never thought that you know I think that I think it's fairly true in this country. I don't know how how it works in America, but in this country, it's I think it's a fairly relaxed atmosphere at art school, and I think I would have fitted in very well. Uh, <laughs> is there is there is there an artistic outlet for you aside from music? Do you do you do art on you know in addition? I I have done when I was younger, and my wife is continuing. She was always buying me. Um, brushes and paints and paper and say come on come on do something do something and uh, yeah it's it's another along with my biography it's another of those projects I'm starting to feel listen I'm starting to feel really guilty the more we talk <laughs> I'm going to be suicidal by the end of this conversation I'm wasting so much time yeah you you thought this interview was going to be about the things that you've done but it's about the things you haven't done <laughs> <laughs> no, I, know. I, was, I hope we were going to talk about my accomplishments, but now I realize that I'm God, I've wasted my life. <laughs> but isn't it kind of exciting to think like there's so much that you want to do? There, yes, absolutely. But it's very important to realize you've got to get on with it. Um, at any age, it's important to realize you've got to get on with it. But, you know, I often say we're in the autumn of our careers here. I am. And um, and it's the first time it's happened to me that I've got into the autumn of my career, and I've you know I've got to get on with it because I haven't got forever. And um, yeah, this is very therapeutic. Maybe could I ring you every night? <laughs> <laughs> we, we could have this conversation. Sure. <laughs> I'll report back, you know, what I've done during the day. Uh, yeah, I want to see some progress, Colin. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I gotta say, like when when I when I turned fifty, all the projects I, I thought time was so infinite, and now I realize that it's not. It's fairly finite, and Absolutely. right. And there's a lot that I want to do in terms of writing. There's books that I have planned that I want to do. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, I thought if I can put one book out, I'll be really happy. And it's like, no, that's not that's not 
no, you want to do way more than that. So now I'm working at a much more fevered pace, um, which is which is exciting. And I also think the the electricity of the fact that like you know time is finite. Let's let's get on with it. Has been actually been good for me as, a, as I was a writer. Say you can use that to your advantage, can't you? It's it's um, it's um, a great motivator. I, I think so. It, it's it has shown up in my life as a great motivator, and I think the old days I I would be fairly relaxed, like oh maybe I'll just waste you know so much time because I have so much of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I I know that approach very well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. How about your? Um, I was just curious about your friendship with Rod because I I talked to the, to Dewey from America and he's got this you know this sort of cool musical partnership which has you know lasted fifty years and this lifelong friendship. Um, how how have you maintained that relationship and 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 how is it on a daily basis? Do you guys check in? Like how does that what is that like? Um, I would say that. Um especially when we're on the road, then we, we do see a lot of one another. Um, obviously at concerts, we'll probably all be in the same dressing room. Everyone's in there. But if we have a night off or a couple of nights off, then Rod and I will usually have dinner on our own and just talk about life and so forth. Um, I will speak to him two or three times a week, usually. Um, it is a, a, a close relationship and Rod, will often say that he learned to write songs for my voice. And even now, and, and of course there've been periods when we weren't working quite as closely as we are now, but all through his life, subconsciously, he's been hearing my voice when he's writing a song. And I learned to sing professionally to his songs. And his, his songs are quite remarkable in that they, not all of them, but a lot of them sound quite simple. But they're not a, they're not as simple as they sound. That's where he's a wonderful musician because he can make quite complex music sound simple, and uh, I quite enjoy that challenge of um, working with him. Usually, we get together before the band hears it, and we'll work together on a song. It's his song, but um, we just going we go through the fra the phrasing. Well, you know, we work through it pretty much word by word. Um, it's great if people think I just walk in and do it. That's fantastic. <laughs> I spend hours on it. I spend hours and hours, as particularly on his songs. On my songs, obviously, I, I was there when they were written. So I, you know, I spend no time on and recording my songs is usually really fast, you know. But I'm, I spend hours on what songs because I I want them how he hears them, and he has a very specific and precise knowledge of how he wants his song to sound and particularly in the phrasing I've learned so much from him about phrasing when I started out I had no formal music education at all and I just used to go one two three go and just do it you know <laughs> but um, particularly as you get older you have got to learn a little bit about phrasing and also you've got to learn a little bit about singing technique as well and both Rod and I studied just for a short while with a singing coach called Ian Adam. He's, he's passed away now. But he used to uh, coach a lot of the singers in the West End, uh, which would be like um, Broadway in New York. Uh, so these singers are on stage five nights of the week. Their voices have got to be strong and they've got to be accurate. And so he was not trying to change a voice, but he's just trying to make it 
bit stronger and a bit more accurate so that if you are singing five nights of the week, your voice will last. And it's the same with bands. And if you haven't got a bit of technique, you may well find that after two nights on the road, you've lost your voice. Mm. Or another thing I've heard singers say, you know, after the first song, when my voice warmed up after the first, uh, after the first four songs, my voice warmed up and it, it was great. And I thought, I always think, well, why didn't you warm your voice up beforehand? And then it, you would have been singing great from the beginning. So I, I, I've got these exercises that I do um, on, on my phone, you know, and uh, I do them before sound check, like half an hour of exercises, and I do them before the show. So I've been singing exercises for an hour before we do a show. Oh, wow. And, and um, it really helps, particularly when you're, you know, got, got a tour that's gonna last weeks on the road, you, you've gotta try and keep your voice strong. And um, so that really helped. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert by any means, but just to get a little bit of technique, it really helps. Did you find working with the voice coach that you found a reservoir that you hadn't tapped into about your own voice? Did you learn about your own technique and what you could do? Yeah, I, I did actually. Um, I, I'd always thought, I wish I could turn a switch and be in good voice. And to an extent, you can. You, you just have to learn a, a few things about singing. Now, you have to warm your voice up. You have to really know the song, really, really know it. Not just know the words, but you've got to know the phrasing so that it's automatic. And then know a little bit about your body. I'll, I'll tell you, this guy always made me laugh. Ian Adam, the singing coach, when I, I first went to him, and he, he just listened to my voice a little bit. And... Um, then he decided on an approach and he said, what I want you to do is lift. No, first of all, is breathe. And then I want you to lift from your pelvic floor. And, you know, I always think, I think most women will know where their pelvic floor is. But when he said that to me, I thought, what? Where, where, where's my pelvic floor? And he yeah. could see that I was bemused and he said to me sing from your ass dear sing from your ass <laughs> so, that does so, it. so yeah that you you won't forget that in a hurry no so um what you have to do you have to breathe and what and, and you want to lift from your diaphragm but if you lift from your pelvic floor then that supports your diaphragm so it's it's just it's just a way of, of looking at it, you know. It just becomes automatic that you must breathe. A lot of people, I see them, they're gonna, they're gonna sing and they don't go <gasps> before they sing. They just go, la, 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 la. and they're gonna be out of breath. Right. Take, right. take a breath and then support the breath. And the technique that I use is to lift from the pelvic floor to support my diaphragm. When you said that you thought it, in the old days it was one, two, three, go, that reminds me of the Ramones. That reminds me of punk rock. It reminds me of yeah. just get in there and go. And this might be a weird question to ask you, but did, did punk rock make any, did it land for you at all? Were you, were you amused by it? Did you like it or did you totally miss it? Um, I liked some of the bands that came out of punk, but whether they were really punk bands in the first place, I think that the police were thought of as a punk band, uh, Elvis Costello perhaps was thought of yeah. a punk band. And so I like 
some of the bands that came out of punk, but no, the punk didn't touch me really, and neither did disco. I had a really bad time um, in the mid to late 70s, because in America, I, I did tours of radio stations, like I did one in particular, uh, probably two or three weeks going around radio stations, and they just wanted disco. If you, if you didn't have a disco record, they were not going to, they wouldn't let you in the building, let alone play your record. And in the UK, it was punk was everywhere. So it was a tough time. I mean, I couldn't, there's no way I could start being a punk or, or a disco person, you know, so I'm a, I'm a singer songwriter really, or else just a singer in a band. Um, so neither of those things made a big impression on my life, really. I've got a theory that you, the, the artists that appeal to you in your formative years, so from like 18 to 23, I think they stay with you for your whole life. Yeah. And um, it has with me anyways, but people like um, Joni Mitchell and, and Jackson Brown and James Taylor, the, the, the great songwriters, and, and you know, Elton and McCartney, Clapton, those people have stayed with me all my life and, and always will. Were you c competitive at all? Did you look at Ray Davies and go, God, that guy's really upped his game. I need to, <laughs> like, in other words, I'm just curious if you're contemporaries because you were in such a competitive in terms of just, mm. it was, the, the pond was stocked with talent. Yes. Um, were, did you look around and go, good God. Um, I maybe we were a little bit. I wasn't really conscious of it at the time. It might have been more subconscious. I think I could be a bit envious mm -hmm. because I could see all the bumps in the road for us, all the problems. I couldn't see their problems. They, you know, the kinks would have had the same problems as us, and I couldn't see their problems. And so maybe I would be a, a little bit envious. Not not in a big way though. I mean, I, I was just I was just centered on what we were doing. Generally speaking, with other musicians, I just think good luck. I mean, I'm not really competitive, certainly not musically. What they do has got no bearing on what we do because they've got a number one hit record. It's not taking anything away from us. I think good luck, especially if I know them, good luck. No, I don't think I was particularly competitive. No. I like what you said because it's almost like if you envy the people across the street, you can't really see their problems. You don't know how people, what people have to do in their daily life. Absolutely, and and everyone's got problems. Everyone's got problems. You you think, you know, somebody who's the guy who lives in the big house, he's just got different problems to you. You know, yeah. So it's best just to. No, I'm I'm not. I mentioned competitiveness then and enviousness, if there's such a word, and envy. Um, but I'm not overburdened with either of those, those problems. I'm, I'm only concerned with what happens in this house with my family and, and what happens with the projects I'm involved in. I, I, honestly, I just wish good luck to all the other people. And, and I, just to repeat what I said before, because someone else is successful, that's, that doesn't have a negative effect on me. I mean, and if they're a friend of mine, actually, I think that's good on, on lots of different levels. Firstly, because he's a friend of mine. And secondly, a little bit of that might rebound on me. You never know. Right. You never know. Um, Have you been able to maintain friendships in this business? It's, it's such a strange business. Um, and you've been in it for a long time. Have you had friendships that have endured that are your fellow, fellow musicians? Um, not a lot, I wouldn't say. But in the zombie, the founder members of the zombies. But I do find that... Um, it isn't a business where where friendships endure. Maybe it's a lot to do with the travel, you know. Mm -hmm. 
various musicians, you know, you're off on the other side of the world. And then when you come back, the other guy's gone off on the other side of the world. It is, it's, a, it's a kind of, they're kind of casual friendships. It's great to meet up with people, you know, backstage, there's always great camaraderie. And if it's someone you've worked with a lot over the years, then it, it is, it is good, but um, they, they are rather casual friendships, I think. And just out of curiosity, how are you with, in terms of going back out on the road when that does happen, are you, I mean, I'm, I'm back in the classroom for the first time in a year and a half and we're, we're wearing masks, the whole deal. And it's a little weird. Um, it still doesn't feel incredibly safe. You know, it still feels a little sketchy. How protective are you of your own, your own health and your own um, safety when you're in that kind of environment? Well, I haven't really done it yet. So yeah. uh, it, it remains to be seen. I'm, I'm, I'm not really sure how I'll feel and I'm not really sure what an audience and, and the backstage crew will expect in, where, in the way of masks and social distancing and so forth. So I don't really know, but I think it is gonna be quite interesting um, to sort of getting back into the swing of performing because there's no two ways about it. It, it will be challenging to, to get back into it. I think after about four or five nights, uh, I'll be okay, but the, the yeah. first couple of nights, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be rusty. I really am going to be rusty. And I, you know, I'm prepared for that. It's, it's going to happen. So, um, but after four or five nights, I'll be fine. And, and just out of curiosity, you're, you're mentioning how like in the seventies where like it was disco, it was punk. Um, you've had to weather a couple of cultural storms. Um, what, what was the strategy? Just wait for them to pass. Like, like what is, what is the artistic strategy? How did you get through that stuff? Oh, I think just, um, I don't know is the answer. I, I tell you what, be true to yourself. That, I think that's the answer. It's no good pretending you're something that you're not. Very few people get away with that. You know, maybe some, maybe some people do, but I think just soldier on, you know, grit your teeth. This is a, this is a stamina business. It's not a sprint. And um, going back to what I said earlier on, you have to have the sensitivity to be an artist, but you've got to have, you've got to have the stamina to hang on in there. And, and that's what you have to do. And it, it does get difficult and you have to learn to f survive um, financially, socially. I mean, you, can, you've, you know, if you're not being, if you've been successful and then you're not successful, people can, you know, they can be quite pointed socially they will remind you that you're not doing as well as you were doing and um so you have to learn to ride with the punches a bit yeah it's true all right i'm calling you tomorrow to make sure that you're uh, doing your work yes make sure that i've got that first paragraph done <laughs> right <laughs> um colin i've enjoyed this so much and i and i'm i'm just so happy to get to talk to you it's it's been fun i i I've, i sort of forgot that we were doing an interview I thought we we're just having a chat, really, and we should have maybe gone and got a couple of beers, and uh, we, we could have kept going into the night. <laughs> well, you come out to uh, the Bay Area, we'll get a couple of beers. Okay, sounds great. It's been fun.
It's always nice when one of the all-time greats turns out to also be a great guy. Love that conversation with Colin Blundstone of The Zombies. Go to their website, thezombiesmusic.com, to find out what's happening in the world of The Zombies. Pick up some music, pick up some merch. Don't you think you'd look great in a zombie shirt? I do. You'd look fabulous. Get two of them, one for you and one for your uh, whoever, your partner, your pal. Get another one for yourself. Maybe you need two because you, I don't know, maybe you sweat a lot. (laughs) Maybe this is getting weird. Go to alexgreenonline.com to find out what's happening with me. Don't forget bombshellradio.com. And don't forget if you want to follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, tell all your friends. We would appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Time of the Season by the Zombies. Enjoy it! Thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. It's the time of the season Love runs high In this time Give it to me easy And let me try With pleasured hands To take you in the sun To promise lands To show you everyone It's the time Of the season For love What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Has he taken any time to show you what you need to live? Tell it to me slowly. Tell you why I really want to know. It's the time of the season for Like me, has he taken, has he taken any time?